Monday night, just past 7 o'clock, and here we go. Time for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show tonight, so we'll get right into it. And Ira, you are very excited about this show. We've got so much to talk about. It's been kind of an up-and-down soap opera of a weekend and a week. Oh, my gosh. I am so psyched. About the NBA, to me, I I love the playoffs. I can say this year, well, maybe not so much that LeBron's not in it. But the one night off, there was, I watched like Downton Abbey on HBO. There's Succession, Game of Thrones, Crown, all these stuff. Nothing's better than the NBA. (laughs) Nothing is better. Because as we said, there's, during the regular season, there's load management. They're taking it off. Everybody's this. Everybody's box office. This and that. But guess what? This is the playoffs. They have to play. They have to play every game. And none of this, all this excuses, all this whatever, it's playing right now. And it is so exciting to see. And the players that are failing are getting criticized. The players that are doing great are getting praised. And this is what it should be. This is what it counts. This is, And I love because the NBA, unlike other sports, is like, well, I have a football team. I'm one of so many players. The quarterback just can't do everything. It's so much work. And all baseball, well, I'm a, once a, every nine other batters, I have my switch control, I pitch four days, all excuses. The NBA, we're looking for the stars to win. We are looking for the Kevin Durant's, the Kyrie Irving's, the James Harden's. And when they come up, it's one thing we are seeing in these playoffs. We are not only just seeing superstars lose, we're seeing superstars come up zero, do nothing. This is what's so exciting about this is because this is totally drama. This is what you, what you this is Shakespeare. And we're getting team play winning over superstars. And that's something that we've talked about. I think it's better for the league when you know you don't need a big three to win it all. No, that's what and we're, we're going to talk about, the Heat and the Celtics and those teams and how they play. And it's just, that's what makes it. And I'm, I'm just so pumped. And I, I cannot, every night to me, is I just can't wait to get into these games. And, and just, it is every, it, it, to me, every single game and every single night brings a different storyline and how the games emerge and develop. And it's just the pressure. And it's, it's like, the one thing with the NBA is the games are only like a little, about two, two hours, 20 minutes. So it's, they then go in for four hours. It's not an NFL game mm-hmm. that goes on forever. Like these games happen fast and things are happening. And boy, these teams that aren't ready to play, they're losing. So if the NBA is like a Broadway show, we do have off-Broadway as well, and we're seeing a lot of drama, and you are turning into one of the biggest hockey fans around, and we're going to talk about that oh, tonight. I, 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 can I just say Connor McDavid? I mean, I, look, <laughs> and I have to admit, I'm, this is like someone waking up saying, you know, Tiger Woods is a good golfer. I know some people say, like, LeBron James, can you play basketball? I'd watch him, but... Connor McDavid is for Edmonton. Now I'm not. When is Edmonton games on? Like it's it, it's on at Most two, three in the morning. It's not on the networks, or whatever. I, when he has the puck, he just is different than everyone else. Like he ha, he is so big. He's the biggest player, the fastest player, and can handle the puck. He is tremendous. And watching the other night, watching Edmonton, that was just tremendous to see those two Edmonton play and Connor McDavid. Watching sitting for two hours watching Connor McDavid was like watching Michelangelo paint for two hours. <laughs> it was that good, or, or a great singer Sinatra for two hours. Connor McDavid is amazing. Coming from someone who watched Sidney Crosby for two decades, and I'm texting you like Connor McDavid's really good, yeah. and you're like, I know, I know, he's really good. I'm texting you at two in the morning. Connor McDavid is really, yeah. really good. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, all the drama that we had over the weekend and that as well. Also, Dan Shaughnessy's going to join us about 7.30, and we've had him on before. He's a great guest. Well, he's a, the top Boston Globe writer about the Celtics, and he is, we just want to preview the Celtics Heat Series. I'm so excited to have it down here in Miami. His first two games, Tuesday and Thursday. So Dan was on about his book, Wish It Lasted Forever, and I'm going to bring him back to give an insight into the Celtics. So, Ira, I'm 
I'll ask you where you've been, but if you follow us at Ira on Sports, you'll be able to see where Ira's been because he's decked out in his heat gear, ready to go for a whiteout, and that's what you've been pretty much doing all week. I wish they, I think they should change it up. They should have red one of these. It's always white yeah. out every time, maybe different colors. But yeah, Tuesday I was there for the uh, the game five in where Miami won one twenty to eighty five. Wasn't much of a game uh, for that game, and I'll be here next this coming week, Tuesday and Thursday for the Heat games. So let's go right into the NBA, Ira, and we can go back to uh, to the game you ran. I think that some people were a little bit worried about the Miami Heat. I don't think that we were. I don't think that people that live in South Florida were. But after a rocky middle of the series, some people were thinking maybe Miami doesn't have what it takes. Yeah, you know, when you when you're up 2-0 and then you lose those two in Philly, and it was like during the F1 and that was going on at the same time, and you're like, what is going on? And then when Embiid came back, you're like, well, Embiid's back. And I think the one thing, the question was, when is James Harden just going to be? It's like when you're looking at a storm and there's a storm cloud and you're watching it and you're like, normally it's a storm cloud, it's going to rain hard. And you're just waiting for James Harden to be like that storm cloud and just start draining threes, score 40 points, because that's what I watched James Harden. He averaged 35 points a game for like three years more than any other player, just draining threes all over the place. Now, I know in the playoffs, awful. But still, the fact is, I was waiting for that, and it just never happened. And then when they came back to, to Miami, I, I was nervous for that game. I felt like, uh, th- we'll see what happens in that game. But I, I was confident that he were going to figure out a way to win, but you saw how Embiid was playing, and they, he had just dropped two games in Philly. Vegas wasn't really on top of James Harden either. After game three, uh, after game four, they raised him to 24 and a half points was the over-under. <laughs> then they adjusted that to 20 and a half in, in the next game. So they're quickly learning that, you know, Harden is not what we saw, you know, for one game so far in the playoffs. But let's go back to the game you were at. Yeah, just Miami won 120-85. I think that one of the exciting points of the game was Gigi Ka- DJ Khalid was in the first row. The ball goes in, he picks it up, and then he was massaging Eric Spolstra as the coach Spolstra. didn't look too amused. It was, it was one of those, like, <laughs> a Drake moment. He were 18 and 4 in game fives and I think the idea was there was no Lowry, which I've come saying from day one. I know Lowry's not, but I, I think the Heat are better with Gabe Vincent starting at the point than Lowry. Uh, and the question was how well would Harden play? The Heat shot so poorly in Philadelphia. They couldn't, they, they looked yeah. like uh, Milwaukee shooting. I mean, <laughs> that they were just terrible. But they ended up shooting for the game 54%, 13 for 33 from the, the three point line. Tucker with 10, Butler 23, Bam 12, Vincent 15, Struss, Struess 19, Hero 10, Ali with 13. Balance scoring, even Duncan Robinson got in the game. Um, but uh, it was like one of those games where the Heat were up after 12 after one. They were up 12 after the first half. And then the fourth quarter, they just began the fourth quarter with this 14-2 run. Game was over. I, I just liked how they handled it. It just, they got that run. And by, you know, when there's four or five minutes to go in the game and the reserves are in, that's what they needed. Harden, that was the key thing. 37 minutes. He was 5 for 13, 2 for 6, 14 points, 4 assists. Just a terrible game. And Embiid was struggling at 17 points, 5 boards. He looked tired, exhausted. He was bending over. That's why I wasn't sold on Philadelphia. Because even if he stays healthy without the injuries, he's just it just gets beat up as these series goes on. And think if Embiid looked how he looked this last series, think if he had to play two more, he would ne- he's never going to last. No. That's where I'm just not sold on the Sixers. And, and unless they figure out something. I know Embiid's in better shape. He had a better, better regular season. But the way Harden played and then just was was poor. So then going to the next game, I read this is when I, I really felt pretty good. And I know a lot of people probably thought that Philly might be able to steal one back here, extend it, but uh, wasn't going to be the case with this Miami. Well, this was the Jimmy Butler show. And remember, Jimmy Butler played for Philadelphia. He sort of wanted to resign them. And they said, well, we're, we're, we like Tobias Harris. We like, you know, we, we, we're going to keep, we, we like Ben Simmons. And he's like, I'm out of here. And they were shocked when he went out. He said, I love Joe Embiid and everything, but I, I'm out. You want, you want This is what you want. I'm going to go to Miami. And so after they 
they won the game. And Butler was 12, 13 for 29, 32 points, eight boards, four assists. He ran in the locker room screaming, you wanted Tobias Harris. You wanted Tobias Harris. Take that. So that was like more of a revenge for him to some. He was looking for something. But Max Drews finally scoring on the road. And Max Drews had a great game. He had 20 points, six for 14, four for 10, 11 boards, five assists. I mean, it was 49-48 the half. And then they just blew him out in the second half, outscoring them 25-13 in the third. Uh, Danny Green towards ACL. And this is one thing. I mean, Embiid falls on the ground like every play. It's not surprising that he fell on Danny Green and then tore his own teammates ACL. But the, the story of the game was James Harden. I mean, James Harden played 43 minutes. He was four for nine. Uh, he scored a, you know, a total of 11 points. And the key thing is a plus minus rating of minus 16. He took two shots in the second half. Two. Yep. He played 23 minutes and took two shots. And I like how Stephen A. Smith goes, I could go on the food court and I could get two shots. And it was almost like James Harden was like trying to play poorly. So Doc Rivers gets fired and Mike Daniel becomes the coach or whatever. But it's so inexplicable. But he's done this before. I mean, he's had other in 2017 against San Antonio in game six at home where they lost by 39. He was two for 11. In 2018, they were up 3-2 in Golden State. He had a game where he scored five points when he was 35-point game score. And uh, it was just a 2015 against Golden State, another terrible game. I mean, he's had horrendous playoff games. And this was the cherry on the top of the James Harden, just terrible playoffs when he hadn't played well. And uh, and then Embiid, after, after the game, said, we, we, we wanted to get the Houston James Harden, but we didn't get Houston <laughs> James Harden. And uh, then Embiid said, we should have never, never let Jimmy Butler go. Um, Embiid played terrible. He was 7 for 24 at 20 points and 12 boards. And they tried with Maxi at the end. But I mean, the key th- of this entire game was that James Harden just didn't take any shots. It was terrible. I told you when I saw on the show that he and Maxi clearly don't get along. Supposedly, Maxi threw a cushion at the game during this game. is threw a seat cushion at, at Harden. But, um, and I, I blame Doc Rivers so much for how this season went. I'm also blamed for keeping him beaten against Toronto at the end of the game yeah. when they're up by 27 points and getting his face fractured uh, in that game. So I, Doc Rivers, they said he's going to come back this year. I don't know. There's Jay Wright out there waiting. To, I, I just It's one of those things where I think Jay... I, I, I don't think Wright wants to come back just yet. I don't know, but maybe after that in the next year, I think Jay... Some, in the next year or so, Jay Wright is going to be coaching the Philadelphia 76ers. But um, I just... The whole idea about James Harden and what they're going to do now, he's he can opt into a $50 million contract for next year, but if he they could offer him the Supermax, and should he get paid five years, $50 million, when he's really just a backup almost like a backup player right now. This is unbelievable. But he's going to get in shape. He's going to become the new James Harden. He's always going to. He's only 33 years old. He's not, he's 32, 33 years old. So he's young, And but it just seems like his skills have totally eroded before us. We're talking about Chris Paul at 37. James Harden is four years younger and his skills have totally seemed to totally disappear. So what do you think he's going to do? I mean, to me, it would seem like the opt-in is the smart choice. I can't see, the teams that have the money don't need or want James Harden. So it's like he's kind of got to take the opt-in but then if he plays poorly again, he's not going to get anything after this. I think he opts in for the 50. I think if you're James Harden, you opt in for the 50 and then you just a 48 million or some mm-hmm. crazy number. I think you opt in for that and then just hope you're going to play great next year and go get in shape and be, take some of that 40 million, get a dietitian, get a trainer, <laughs> whatever, do something. But the, the story with the Heat is, and, and we're, we're looking at the narrative, is that they really beat, I feel, a very poor Philadelphia team, a team that Embiid didn't play with, uh, play uh, two, missed two games, and was injured the other games, and they beat uh, an injured Hawks team. And so now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, which <laughs> having not like a resume, like the resume is very weak. Yeah, whereas Boston's knocked off some pretty uh, intense competition getting into this. But I did like the fact that they were rebounding better, and and, and Spolster, what we talked about, their key is Spolster. The key 
key going next series with Boston is can Eric Spolstra push the right buttons? Is Struess going to play? Is Hero going to play? Is Duncan Robinson going to come back and start? Who? What's going to happen? He has to read this team. He has to play well. This is what the key thing. This is what Spolstra. Even Adugo is a rookie coach. It can. They have the advantage of the Heat. Is at the coaching, and Spolstra's been in these games, game after game, winning titles. This is where it's going to be on him. It's seven seventeen. This is Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel. Don't forget to follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe joins us at about seven thirty. So let's go to the other uh, series in the East, Ira. And a, not many people gave Boston a chance to take out the reigning champs here. And sure enough, after an exciting series, Boston's moving on. Game seven, they, they were able to win. Now remember, Milwaukee did not have Chris Middleton, who's their number two player, clearly it number two. Huge. And and that hurt. And they made some decisions at the beginning of the year. They they let go of P.J. Tucker. He left. P.J. Tucker went to the Heat. They didn't want to pay him the two years, $50 million. They got rid of Dante Defenzio, who didn't play last year in the playoffs, but who was a star player. They bring in Pat Conahan, great. He was already there but and then Grace and Allen they signed but in Wesley Matthews they signed but it, it didn't work I mean you can see they were really missing it especially in this series in game four Boston won you know this is what Boston won 116 108 to even uh, uh, to even the series 2-2 and uh, it was like one of those series it was like it, this was this was this was key and and because they were down 2-1 and they were down 2-1 in the series and this is a chance for Milwaukee up 3-1 Boston winning there Horford played great for Boston 30 points um, and it was like one of the series where every game it seemed like that the Bucks out-rebounded the Celtics but the Bucks were outshot by three-point line. Celtics in this game had 14 threes. The Bucks had nine threes. And then they go back to Boston and the Bucks win. Now, this was the game where you know, there you're saying Milwaukee's going to win the series. They go back to Boston, win game the, game five, go up 3-2. Uh, Boston was leading 93-79 early in the fourth. And then Giannis made a three. Tatum is a shot. Then Giannis stole the ball from Smart. Holiday made a three. And then it was Giannis was at the foul line, made the first, missed the second. Portis was able to get the rebound, put it up. And then Holiday makes a great defensive plays at the end of the game, blocking a smart shot and then winning. And Giannis had 40 points, 11 boards. It was just, they out-rebounded the 49-36. And they actually shot more threes that game. 13, made more. 13 to Boston's 10. Huge win for Milwaukee. Milwaukee. They're up 3-2. And uh, at that point, you're like, okay, they're going to go back to Milwaukee. They're going to win game six, move on. Because remember, they, they the decision Milwaukee made was to lose that game to be not in order to be the third seed and give up home court advantage in this round. But they didn't want to play against the Brooklyn Nets, which proved to be a mistake. Because they, <laughs> they go back to Milwaukee and the Celtics won 108 95. Giannis, 44 points, 20 boards, six assists. But Tatum, 46 points, nine boards, four assists. I mean, it was one of those great matches. Giannis and Tatum, Giannis and Tatum, back and forth. And it was just at the end, uh, Boston led 53 43. They were cruising. Milwaukee made a run there, but just couldn't do it. And uh, it was just, I, I tell you, Tatum played monster game for Jason Tatum. Monster game to come up and do what he had to do. He was made. He had three-point shots, two-point shots, three-point shots. He, not only did he score the points, but he closed out at the end of the game, which was crucial. And then we got to Game 7. And in Game 7... I thought Giannis was going to pull it off. I was waiting for that. So. And it was just one of those games where Milwaukee was up. Giannis played great in the first quarter. 10 points, 8 boards, 6 assists. I'm like, he's going to score 50, have 30 rebounds and 20 assists. But then he got tired. And Portis got his third foul. That hurt them. But Grayson Allen couldn't shoot. I mean, again, they just could not get it. It was just the, the Milwaukee Bucks kept trying to shoot threes. They couldn't shoot at all. They ended up 4 for 33 for threes. I mean, it was one of the worst shooting performances I've ever seen from, from 
from th- from threes, uh, four for 33. <laughs> I, I say the number, I can't even believe it. And they shot 37% for the game. Giannis was missing layups. Giannis missed easy shots. Uh, it just was, they just couldn't get, and then Grant Williams, out of nowhere for the Celtics, drains nine threes. He had 27 points. I mean, Tatum only scored 23 and Brown 19, but it's really Grant Williams, they did, the decision was to leave him alone and shoot threes, and that's what they did. And uh, that was the key for them in shooting the, their, their threes. I mean, that was, they made 22, you know, 22 threes, 22 threes in a game. Um, and uh, it was just horrendous, a, a bad loss for the Bucks. I'm not going to put this all on Giannis. Missing Middleton really hurt in that game seven. You could tell that they were missing the, uh, you know, the effect that Chris Middleton has. So here we go. Eastern Conference Finals. Are you want to make a prediction here? How many games? Who takes this down between the Heat and the Celtics? I, I can't. Root. I, I just think I think I like I, I do think the coaching. I think I, on paper, the Celtics look like a better team. The Celtics have played better this year. But the remember the, the Heat beat the Celtics two years ago in the bubble. And I really think that Spolster is going to make the difference. And I don't, cannot tell you which piece is going to work. But unlike Milwaukee, that I felt like did not make the right adjustments when the game, Bodenholzer was sort of out coached. It seemed like he was, it's like, okay, I'll make the adjustments when the game over. I think Spolster makes better in-game adjustments. The key in these playoffs, I think, is to make in-game adjustments. When the game is getting away from you, stop it from getting away. Call the timeouts, make the changes, pull the players out, do whatever. And I think the Heat have been doing that all year. They, they, they don't have to say, oh, we don't want to upset anybody. Duncan Robinson was starting. They pulled him. They want to put Max Struess in. They're going to do that. If you want, oh, they're going to bring Oladipo. Like, they have all these weapons, and Spolster knows how to use them. And I'm going to, this is going to be Spolster and Jimmy Butler, but I really think it's going to be more Spolster knowing which buttons to push to win this, because there are going to be times when the Celtics score 15 in a row, and then he's going to make adjustments. And I felt like the Bucks waited too much. And, you know, and also the weird thing about that Bucks series is the offensive fouls that they were calling on Giannis. It seems like every time they got the ball, like, they would hold his arm and move away they call it the offensive fouls. I thought that was weird. And I, and I just think that this, the, but again, the defense, I mean, this is the team, the, the, the heat, they were, what they're going to do to Tatum, what they did to Trey young, they're not going to let him have easy shots. Yeah. They're not allowed to get him off and they're going to throw different players. They're going to put Calamart. You're going to see names like Calamart. like, what's he doing in this game? He might play 30 minutes just on Tatum and they don't care if he has five fouls. Like that's the key thing. When mm-hmm. your best players, when you don't have to waste your, when Jimmy Butler doesn't have to play defense on Tatum, they, he's not going to waste his time doing that. That's the key thing and I and I think the Heat he play great team defense so I think the Heat in seven let's uh, go over to the west Ira and geez between Phoenix and Dallas I, I don't even know what the odds were going into the series Phoenix must have been a ridiculously overwhelming favorite and they didn't play like it and Luka Doncic is just showing that he really is something magical well, I, first of all, like I ask you how old you were, because I think now the 37, when people turn 37, it, this is like the 50. I mean, 37 is the new, like, mm-hmm. this is this is the end. Because Chris Paul was playing great in this playoffs. In the first eight games, he had 23 points, 10 assists, and one and a half turnovers a game. Looking like MVP, finals MVP, great. They were calling him Chris, the point, they used the term point God instead of point, <laughs> whatever. But the last five games, since he turned 37, nine points, six assists, and four turnovers a game. Totally collapses a player. And now it's, a, it's a, what happened? How, and what, they turned 37, you suddenly become old? Like, what's it? It felt like it for me. He made the devil. <laughs> this has been the, this is the craziest series I've ever seen. The, each, first two games, each team wins, blowing the other team out. And I can't believe Dallas even beat Phoenix the way they did. They were down 2-0 at home, 2-0, 2-0. And then they come back and they beat Phoenix two games in the road at, at home, which I, 
I was in shock. So they go to game five, and as expected, the Suns win by 30. What, what more do I have to believe? I mean, the, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, they were, they, it was like just, again, uh, Paul played poorly, but Booker had 28 points, Bridges 14 points, 8 and 20 points, and the Mavs were just 8 for 32 from 3. They were out-rebounded 50 to 38, and then you're just waiting for, okay, they're going to go in game six. Phoenix is a better team. They won 64 games this year. They're the best home record, the best road record. They have been dominant all year. I've watched Phoenix play. They have, if Booker plays poorly, don't worry, Paul's going to play well. Bridges will put 30 points in. Aiton will put 30 in. There's no one who can guard him. Like, you had all these players. Cam Johnson will come off the bench. Landry Shamet, uh, Cameron Payne. They have so many weapons. Like, someone's going to shoot. They go in, and the Mavs win. 113 to 86. They lose. They they win by 27 points. They were dominating the whole time. This was just an absolutely. I mean, Luca was just tremendous in this game. The Suns shot 40 percent with 22 turnovers. Paul could not have been worse. 36 minutes, 13 points, five turnovers. Booker had eight turnovers, 19 points, and Doncic was tremendous. 11 for 26. Again, 33 points, 11 boards, eight assists, five steals. And I'm like, wow. I mean, what happened? Like, you don't want to close this out in a game six? Okay, you want a game seven. But the Suns have been so dominant at home game seven. Like, there was seven, eight-point favor going into this game. Like, this is going to be getting ready, sit down for the game. I'm all, I'm all ready for excited. And what happened? I mean, Chris Paul's lost five games, series where he's been up 2-0. You didn't expect this to happen. No. And it was 15-7 with 3.44 to go in the first quarter. Then it was like 18-10. And you're like, okay, well, they got off to a slow start. Then it was 27-17 after one. You're like, Phoenix scores 17 points? Like, do something. But you're watching Monty Williams, who's the coach of the year. It makes some moves, makes some adjustments. Like, this is game seven. This is not November. This is not New December. Yep. This is it. Do something. Luca had 12 points, eight rebounds, three assists. Suns were shooting six for 23. But 28-20 with 10 minutes to go. And then it was like, wow, you're like, Booker's out of the game. I'm like, at some point, you got to start calling timeouts. And then with 6.40 to go, Dinwiddie made a three. That put it at 15 points. And this is what I love about, and I say this all the time, it, when a team's up by 15, it's as likely to go to 30 as it's going to go to zero. And at that point, they really had to say, panic time, panic time. But it wasn't because then suddenly the Mavericks kept scoring and they went on uh, this run at the end. It was 41-23. And then with the last four minutes to go, I mean, they, it was Luka driving layup. Luka a three. Luka a step back two. Luka another three. 16-4 run to end the half. 57 to 27. 27 points an entire half. Luka scored 27 points. The, the, the Sun scored 27. And I just think <laughs> This is, I mean, Booker, 20 minutes, 0 for 7, 2 points. Paul, 19 minutes, 0 for 4, 1 point. H in 14 minutes, 3 points. It was, this one was disastrous things. And then you start the third, then you start the third quarter. And what happens? Crowder force makes a 3. Aiton misses a shot. And suddenly game's over. I mean, it was, the lead was 46 points at one point. Game's over, beginning of the fourth quarter. How do you do this at home? How do you do this team? What an embarrassment. Like, you look at the Suns. You played this whole year. You couldn't come out and play. Nobody. And I'm, I'm criticizing Monty Whips. The team wasn't ready to play. You can't make the right adjustments. That's why I'm saying Spolster would not let this happen. You cannot let this game get away from you. Call timeout. I don't care if you call. I don't care if you're out of timeouts in the second quarter. You've got to stop this bleeding. You cannot let this game get away from you. And, you know, we talked when, when we began the show about how important star power is in these series. Chris Paul disappeared. So who's supposed to be the next man up, Ira? He was fourth in the MVP voting, and he was just as bad, just as dismal as Chris Paul. I want to tell you something. Again, I, I, we pulled this MVP voting. Jokic won 66 votes, MB 26, Giannis 9. Booker. 
fourth. Fourth with the, fourth MVP. the MVP. What are you doing in this game? You're not stopping the bleeding going in the game. And then Aiton played 17 minutes. And like There was an internal. There was nobody for the Mavericks. And all this whole thing about the Mavericks and their defenses. Look, they got scoring from Dinwiddie. They got scoring from Brunson, which was crucial. That was great. But Doncic was the person who was scoring all the time. But I don't see the Mavericks with these great defenders. They have Max Kleber and, D- and Davis Burton's in the game. They, they Doncic's not a good defender. Like, what is this great defense? This is the Suns. Move the ball. Work the ball. Everything they did. They panicked. They didn't play well. Their coach didn't stop them. And you have these players that made it to the final. I, I, this team played well together. You would think they'd be able to, to overcome adversity. It was one of the most... This is one of the worst. I'm thinking... I can't think of anything I'm more surprising than I was going to say the Chiefs losing against the Bengals when Mahomes played mm-hmm. terrible last year or Big Brown we're talking about the race <laughs> when Big Brown ran when dominated the Preakness the Kentucky Derby dominated the Preakness goes in the Belmont and just doesn't run the race I mean in a race that was 1-10 to 10 favorite and just starts and just his last play like this is what this game felt like it's like what is happening like even you just couldn't even imagine what you're seeing and it was this is one of the worst losses I've ever seen from a team and then give an example Aiton for the Suns with this pathetic performance of a game that he, you know, he played uh, 14 minutes, three points. I mean, it's just terrible. Three, three points. But uh, Aiton was drafted in the 2018 draft. Number one. Doncic was three. So yeah. if you're drafted one and you want a $250 million max deal like he's trying or $200 million max deal, you think you play better than that. He's going to be probably getting that max deal too, regardless. By someone, but I mean, the Suns will never be looked at the same. I mean, they went to the finals last year. You were thinking they're going to come back this year. They're going to they're going to they're mm-hmm. going to have a, a layover effect. I mean, some sort of a whatever effect uh, uh, from from losing in the finals. They played phenomenal, dominated the whole regular season. Played great, no load management. Played phenomenal. Paul Booker, everything. When Paul's out, they play well. Booker out, Paul played great. And then they do this in a, first of all, the, the three games they lost to Boston, Dallas in Dallas was a joke. And then to lose game seven by down 40 points is insane. It made no sense to pretty much anybody watching. At 7.30, Ira on Sports, True Oldie Channel, just a minute or two, we'll have uh, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe join us. So you talked about how, you know, something that the Suns would need to do, make adjustments, move the ball, change things. Golden State is going to be able to do that here in the Western Conference Finals. They move on uh, past Memphis. And talk about a draw. Like, this is the easiest draw. So Golden State beats, Golden State, I think, has played horrendous in this playoffs. They beat Denver when Denver had Joga and literally no one else and nobody else. <laughs> yeah, that team on his And they won. And yeah. then they played, they play Memphis and they're up because John Morant gets hurt. So now they're up, uh, uh, they're up 2-1 without, 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 without John Morant with a Memphis team, which I know they had a good record they're 20 and 5 regular season without him but nobody really could name another player on the Memphis team and I just could not believe what happened and then they win they win the the game you know the one they won game four to go up three one and then they go back home to Memphis I mean this is a, this game five and they they lose you talk about a game but luckily they had their in game five and not in game seven the Warriors done by 55 points 55 t- I mean it was they lost 134 to 95 Memphis led 38 20 at the end of the first quarter they went on 24 8 to run then it was 53 36 and they finished the second on a 20 to 4 run I mean this is what we talked about that it was very much like game seven but the you know Draymond Green's laughing they're joking around the the Warriors had all these turnovers so you're like, making me think that boy Golden State is going to have this great they looked 
anybody that loses like 55 to a job Morant less Memphis team, I, I can't have confidence in. And then they go home and they had this was a must win because absolutely they go back to Memphis. <laughs> They're going to lose the series. They had no curve, but they've started Looney at the center. Um, they were up 53, 51 at halftime, and then. They had game six, Clay Thompson. He had eight three-pointers, ended up scoring 30 points. Curry ended with 29 points. And really, at the end of the game, it was like Dylan Brooks was just shooting, shooting, shooting for Memphis. And Memphis was just outgunned. I mean, they're a great young team, but they didn't have their star player. It's like taking Giannis out of Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, good it's luck. A, you know, Tatum out of the out of, out of uh, Celtics. But I just didn't like how Golden I didn't really think Golden State played well this series. Um, but... Look, I think they're going to beat Dallas, but boy, they better play defense and they better take this more seriously because they're joking around. They're throwing the balls. I, I think they think it's exhibition season sometimes. Yeah, that, that loss um, in game five is inexcusable. You can't look at that and then think this team's going to steamroll anybody after a loss like that. Of course, I'll take them to win, but this is, you know, we keep counting Dallas out and they keep winning. So it's hard to say. Well, this is about Luca. Luca's 23 years old. When Luca was 15 and 16, he's playing in Europe and he's playing in gyms in Europe where they're throwing bottles at him, glass bottles. Yeah. They have things around and protecting and he's getting, but he's used to this. I mean, he's an old 23 in terms of yeah. old experience. He went into Phoenix and that arena is loud. I'm not, I love uh, FTX arena. I love being going to Miami for games, but the Phoenix arena is a million times louder than that and he loved it he ate it up he's like bring it on I think this is the greatest thing he, is, he loves this he enjoys this and the team follows him he is a great leader on that team he's the unquestioned leader when they got rid of Pers- it's so funny they get rid of Persingas who was supposedly the two option and since they got rid of Persingas he's flourished with that getting yeah. rid of Persingas he has no other two options Brunson Dinwiddie come on I mean it's it's the Doncic show and Luca played great and, and let's see what happens I mean let's see. he'll love going to the Chase Center and seeing what happens in that series <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Dan Shaughnessy now. This is Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, We are honored to have back after a few months Dan Shaughnessy. He's the legendary Boston writer from the Boston Globe. And we had him on December with his book, Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. And I'm so glad you're coming back, Dan, because I've now been watching Winning Time, which sort of spans the entire time with, with the Lakers. So I, didn't, I was going to ask you, have you had a chance to watch Winning Time? And how does it dovetail with your great book that you wrote about the Celtics story in the exact same time. I did. I saw all 10 episodes. I look forward to next year's second season. Uh, I know Jeff Perlman a little bit. He did a great job with his book. And, you know, that the the doc there, well, it's not a doc, whatever, a drama. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of um, maneuvering of facts in there. And, and some of the portrayals are a little cartoonish, uh, which is what happens when you, you give it up to HBO and Hollywood and whatnot. I mean, Jerry West uh, certainly has an actionable case here. And uh, uh, your guy, Pat Riley, <laughs> he comes out okay, but I not about Adrian Browdy for that. But in any event, uh, I was entertained, so I, I enjoyed it, and it was fun. I, I'd sort of like to see it move forward into the Celtic-Laker days, which is what my book was about uh, with the Larry Bird time. And, and the Bird stuff, yeah, some of it's just, you know, when he's he's got a beer can at a press conference, I mean, that stuff never happened. And they moved around a lot of facts and dates and things like that for you know, for dramatic effect, and I understand that. So, but I, I was entertained. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I just loved how the TV show portrays Red Auerbach and the whole idea that Jerry yeah. Buss is coming in, and then you have, I mean, they definitely take liberties with it, but it's just, yes. that's what they do with everything. And I just loved how Red Auerbach was like so you know, pompous, like, this is my club, this is my, you know, you're coming in, you're going to be out, you're going to buy a team and get tired with it and leave it. And that just, that inspired Buss to, to do what he can to try to topple the, the Celtic dynasty. And Red was, you know, Michael Chiklis, I know, really wanted to play that role. He loved, he wanted to play Terry Francona when I did a book on Tito, and he likes the Boston teams. And, 
and we didn't see enough of him. I hope we see more in the next season. But, uh, yeah, I was actually offered a, a role to come out and do a cameo and play the usher when he hands him the, the box with a tomato in it, which was kind of a gross, crude uh, inside joke, which Red never would have done. It was very tasteless. So I declined that opportunity, figuring I, I didn't need, need to get crushed on that. So, But, yeah, they, they had fun with it. And, um, yeah, I hope there's more Boston, L.A. when they get to the next season. Well, we're going to turn to a little Boston-Miami because I was watching the game and I was deciding, like, well, should I bring some a Milwaukee writer on? But we have to wait to see what happens in that game because I literally had no idea what was going to happen. It was, And I was shocked by the outcome, really, the fact that Boston in a game seven, and they were able to win six and seven, and they were able to control Giannis and, and really take it to the Bucks and, and then and shooting well from the three. They wore him down. I mean, you know, I... It kind of it's one of those rare times. I, I thought it would go seven. I thought Boston would win. And you go back to the last day of the regular season, and they each had an option to to play hard or or not play. And and uh, there was a consideration that that you might get Brooklyn if you if you won on the last day. And Boston did win. They did get Brooklyn. They wiped them out in four. They also got the top seed over over Milwaukee by doing that. The Bucks didn't play. They they laid down, lost their game. Didn't have to play Brooklyn, and then ended up with this seven. You know, game you know, dogfight with the with the Celts, but being on the road in the seventh game ultimately hurt them. And I just think that Boston was had marginally better talent, and you know, without Middleton, Milwaukee was impaired. Uh, you know, Boston didn't have Williams most of the series, but I just thought the Celtics had a little more, and they just wore them down. And Milwaukee, the Boston defense is so good. Bucks couldn't get a clean shot yesterday. I mean, Grayson Allen and Connaughton went one for twelve. They just never had any space, and uh, you know Giannis got worn down. He, he had 17 at the half, he had six in the third, and two in the fourth, and he was just he was just too much, throwing too many bodies at him. You know Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, on down, and uh, ultimately uh, they ju- they just capitulated. And but it was a very noble series. I just thought it was like Ali Frazier. You know they went 15 rounds, and in the 15th, one guy was just staggering on the ropes, and that was the Bucks. We talk about that Boston defense and, and certainly Miami Heat. They talk about their defense here. But that's the question is that the Boston defense is for real. I mean, they shut down Kevin Durant, who is the greatest offensive force in basketball we've seen. Yeah. And then they go after Giannis. And even though Giannis played well, but he wasn't able to, to carry them like he did. Uh, or even, you know, many ways like LeBron had done in terms of just saying, OK, I'm just going to score 50 or whatever. It just seems like Boston's defense was, is, is for real. They are, and you know, it's not a really you know sexy, interesting thing to write about. It doesn't really come off the page or uh, off off the show when you're talking about a defense. It's like it is. You're stopping the other team, but they that was their calling card. They had statistically the best defense in the NBA. Marcus Smart was Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, Udoka, the head coach, he's you know he's a defensive-minded guy. That's why he comes to it, and uh, you could see this is something they were important to, and they were working on it. And I like to think that you know Doka played one year at the University of San Francisco, so of course, like you know, 70 years ago when Bill Russell and Casey Jones were doing their thing, winning 56 in a row for the Dons, two NCAA championships, defense was the calling card. I like to think Doka picked up some of that good defensive karma while he was there. And what about going back to the move earlier in the year when Brad Stevens decided to promote himself up or how this was decided into the general manager role and they bring in Udoko and then the year starts poorly. You know, they're not really yeah. having that good year. It was like, well, did they make the right choice with him? Is this the right, you know, should Stevens have stayed? Or That decision, it played out perfectly so far, but that was a tough call at the time. Absolutely. I mean, they were, they were 18 and 21, which is not playoff bound. Uh, they were a 500 team last year bounced early by Brooklyn and this just looked like the same old same old and it's like 
why why did everybody go through this with uh, Ainge leaving? Stevens getting kicked upstairs, getting off the bench. You know, players interviewed Brown and Tatum. Who's who do you want to coach? They come up with Udoka. Well, why aren't you responding? It was the same old, same old with you know ISO ball, blowing big leads, and not responsive. And I've never really seen anything like this in team sports where it just for no specific reason everything just clicked. And uh, it wasn't. They did get healthy. They had all their players. COVID kind of went in the shell for them. But man, it just was a reversal. And from really mid-January to this moment, they've been the best team in the NBA. And I think that Vegas believes that. I think that they're they're probably favored. They're favored in this series, correct? Um, yes, they are favored in this series. In favor to Which win. You, yeah. I mean, and you know, you figure they're not going to win tomorrow. I mean playing this bloodbath for seven games and having the Heat rested and Celts on the road, you got to figure that the Heat have to have that one tomorrow. I know it's the first game, but if Boston were to win that one, you just feel that the, the tsunami is coming because this, they have no business winning that game tomorrow. Well, we talk about Tatum and Brown, and Tatum was the third pick in the 2017 draft after Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. And then when Jalen Brown in the 2016 draft, so interesting, was Ben Simmons was the first and Brandon Ingram was second. So you have these two players. And for years, some people have been saying, oh, you got to trade one. But, but, but I love Jalen Brown. Like I Certainly, I've had him on my fantasy team the last couple of years and won with him. But uh, I think he's a little underrated. I mean, people more look, but Tatum is one and Brown is like three, whereas I think maybe it's more like one and one A between Tatum and Brown. It's been interesting over the, you know, I mean, Brown's got one more year in the league. He's got six years. You know, Tatum's got five. And they're both very young, came to the league early. And uh, Brown took longer to, to hit his stride as a star kind of player. Tatum kind of always had that star aura around him. Now he's getting it done. I and mean, he's outplayed Durant in the first round and had that epic duo with, with Giannis in game six of this round. And, I mean, Tatum's averaging 28 points in 41 minutes in, in 10 playoff games so far, so that's an emergence. But you're right, Brown's really good, and there are days when he carries them. So they have that, you know, they're a little bit of a duplication of skill sets, you know, kind of, you know, six, eight, nine wingmen um, kind of do everything. And uh, it, it's taken a while, and there's been talk, you're right. I mean, back here, you know, trade them, break up the Jays, whatever, and they didn't do it. Danny Ainge gets a lot of credit, I believe. He's a good evaluator of talent, and I think he hit on these two. And, and it was not as easy as everybody thinks in retrospect because, as you referenced back at the draft time, there was a lot going on with those other names, and, and, and Danny made the right call. Do they get along? I mean, do they? I, I haven't, there's been a lot of writing about those two, but do they, are they friends out of the court, or do they, do, is, it, is it like they try to, is it more of a Kobe Shaq thing? I mean, it, it yeah. just. Yeah. You know, Ira, in, in this day and age, and this is part of what, wish it lasted forever, life of the Larry Bird Celtics is about. We really knew what they were like because we lived with them. We traveled with them. We were on the buses, all that stuff. Now there's this giant moat, and uh, we, we're, we're not in the, in the locker room. I, just, I don't know. I, I, I sense, I've always sensed a little frostiness, and same with Smart. You know, Smart wants to be the alpha dog in the room, and he's been here longer than both of them. And he over, you know, All of them overrate themselves in the look in the mirror. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no uh, you know, false humility here with any of these guys. I mean, they all think they're it. So it makes it interesting, but I've never sensed a... And, you know, Bird and McHale were kind of like that. Uh, you know, it wasn't anything frosty, but people thought, well, two white guys in the Midwest on the Celtics, and they must be really tight. But no, it was almost like the Ruth Gehrig thing. We had these two stars, and they just lived life differently and had different approaches to the profession, and that's how it was. It worked magically for a lot of years, and I think that that's what they're hoping for here too. But I don't sense, uh, you know, Butch and Sundance here with these two. But they're both great skill players, and, and right now they're both winners.
And then it, for, it seems like for four years, the Celtics were trying to get this point guard. They had Kyrie, then they had Kemba Walker and Schroeder. They've been trying to get this point guard, but Marcus Smart seems to be the point guard that was there all along, and he kept telling everybody, I'm the point guard, and, and, and they went with him, and he's, it's worked so far. Again, another thing that's been working. It's been working now with him. Yeah, and I'm still reluctant on that one. I just think as we'll see how things go as they get, you know, now your conference finals and then NBA finals if they advance. But, you know, we saw it at the end of game five at home. They had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they lost it, lost the game at home. And uh, he ended up with the last two possessions and never touched the rim. He had the ball the whole time, had a, his shot blocked, and then got his pocket picked. And I just, he's not a point guard in my view. I mean, he's 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 rugged. Red would love him. He's a great defender, but he's not Tiny Archibald, okay? You, know, you don't feel like you're secure with the ball in his hands uh, and, and something good's going to come of it uh, in that situation. So it's still a work in progress, but that's an area where they can be, I think, exploited in a close game, and it did happen against the Bucks in Game 5. And when you look at the injury reports of the games, people see Robert Williams, he's going to play, he's not going to play, he plays a little bit, doesn't play. But really, that type of presence could cause problems for Bam. I mean, you don't want to have Bam just to be the only setter in the game. You saw what he did against Atlanta when Capella was out, that you really want to have Robert Williams healthy, and maybe he's a difference maker in the series if he stays healthy. We thought it was going to be that until he had the meniscus and had the surgery, and, and it looks like they brought him back a little too soon, so you don't know. It's, it's a trick-or-treat. You don't know what you're going to get. And uh, don't forget, I mean, you, you remember, like, two years ago, these, these teams played each other in the conference finals. And it was six. It was Miami. And Bam had the big plays at the end. And uh, it's a lot of the same guys. So uh, we'll see uh, how this thing goes. And, you know, Heater coming into it more rested. But Boston's, they're hot, man. They're scalding. And this goes back to January. And do you think with the Heat, with their the, the depth, I mean, that's what I, when I see them, I mean, I'm not nervous that Lowry's in there because I think Gabe Vincent actually plays better than Lowry, when, even a healthy Lowry to some respect. But the Heat are just going to just be playing like 11, 12 guys. I mean, Callum Martin could be playing Jason Tatum for stretches of the game. They are just, and they're not going to worry about foul trouble. They're just going to put a lot of people on. Is that depth going to be a benefit against a team that, you know, when you look at Derek White not shooting well for the Celtics and maybe Pritchard plays well, sometimes it comes in. It, it, that might be the big difference, I guess, the advantage the Heat have coming into the game. I think it's a good point. And, you know, we're not going to have any long layoffs here like we saw in the earlier rounds. It's every other day now. It's like the NHL. So you're not going to have that. The playoffs, you know, Larry always said this, there's more time in the games. The timeouts are longer, more pauses, and, you know, the older guys like that. But I think the, there's no actual, you know, every day you're either playing or traveling. And that's it from here to the end of this thing. So that might favor the team that's using more guys. And I think, uh, I mean, I guess the Jimmy Butler, I mean, the fact, I, I'm excited for this series because you have teams that, that at least, you know, as we talk about the NBA, no one's playing defense, those type of things. I mean, teams that really are emphasizing defense, the Heat certainly do, so does Boston. And, and the fact that you have a guy like Butler who plays hard all the time, it'll, that's going to be, this, this, this is going, and we talked about the last series being a war, this series could be definitely a war <laughs> where, where, where they're just not going to give up. I mean, the Heat, and the Heat have shown throughout the playoffs that they can win these close games, and the Celtics have blown a couple close games. So this is what, I mean, against the, against the Bucks. So that's where I think it's going to be. I just can't wait for this series. No, I agree. It does get you fired up thinking about that, and it does feel a little bit more like the old 80s physical game and bodies flying and banging around. And of course, when Giannis is in a game, you're going to get that de facto, and there was a lot of that in that, that seven-gamer that we just had here. So I look forward to that. I think that would be great, and it reminds me of, uh, of, of the good old days when, you know, Boston-Detroit, Boston-L.A., and, you know, Pat... Pat Riley, he he got his education in the NBA by losing that 84 finals to the Celtics and 
and it changed him forever. And uh, you know, stand, you know, what his dad told him: stand your ground. And then, of course, he ended up with the the Nick team killing everybody and beating the crap out of everybody. And and uh, so he he feels, you know, and this roster reflects that. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of bodies flying like old old days NBA. So you think that they're going to show Pat Riley on the video board uh, in the game <laughs> when he's when he's at the Boston Garden? I think that is going to get the fans you know riled up per se. It would get could... me riled up. I'll tell you that those are the best days ever. <laughs> but I mean, we're talking to Don, Dan Chonesy, uh, author of the book "Wish It Lasted Forever," and uh, I guess you know, first, certainly, if you're interested in the Celtics, if you like the old time NBA, and if you've sort of got back when you watched the winning time on this on this set, I love this this time of the NBA when the when Larry Bird's flying on the plane and and commercial. When he's sitting in an airport and, and different style. I mean, this is a great book to read. Uh, are you? Is there any thought to make this like a winning time from the Celtics? Is there? Is there been talk about that, perhaps? Well, Ira, you're not the first person to introduce that, so thanks for asking. And I mean, I have nothing to say about anything, and nothing ever really happens in, in that Hollywood treatments and pitches and whatever. But it's it's being discussed. If you remember, after the Last Dance, everybody was all over the Jordan thing, and that spawned a lot of creative ideas regarding books and, and films and projects. And I think the the winning time will do the same thing for the NBA, old time NBA. Well, Dan, I really I know you're really busy. I've been excited for the series. Thanks a lot for coming on IRS Sports. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Look forward to coming down to Miami later today. Take care. Good to know that uh, Dan's on his way here. You know, he's got a lot to take in here uh, in this series. But great stuff from him. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. It's 748. Still a lot to talk about. NHL, Ira, you're the new biggest fan of hockey. And not a better time to jump in than now. We, we don't know. I don't mean it in that sense. You know, we talked to Randy Moeller last week, and we discussed how all of these series are ridiculously close. You're not going to see sweeps. And the Eastern Conference lived up to the bill. We had some amazing games, Game 7s, and, you know, my New York Rangers played about as good as I've seen them play um, down the stretch there and took home the win versus your uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, that that game was, I mean, the Penguins were up 3-1. I mean, they, they were using a, the fourth-string goal, third-string goalie, really, but to come in there, and, and then you have Crosby out a couple of the games, and then you come into that Game 7, and then... It was just one of those things when the, you know, when the penalty and the Rangers in overtime and they score in the overtime to win the game. When you get And it seemed like how many of these playoff games were game sevens decided by one goal? Yeah, overtime game sevens. Which is five of them and when compared to the NBA, which is they had, they had two game sevens and were complete blowouts. But, oh, I mean, and the Ranger, you know, I was not a Ranger fan, rooting for the Penguins there, and that was a tough loss for the Penguins. But you just, I couldn't think they were going to win. Now they brought Jari back, their score goalie came back, but after, what, two months of not playing, in for in for a game mm-hmm. seven. That's a pretty tough uh, thing he, to do. He didn't look terrible. Um, Igor Shesterkin, who's going to win the Vezina Trophy for the Rangers, he played great finally after being miserable in game three and four, and they're going to have the, their hands full with Carolina in this next series. But Carolina and Boston, this one, it was a pickup in Vegas, and it ended up being that as we went to with game seven also. Yeah, I mean, Carolina beat Boston again in the game 7-3-2. Um, I was down I was in Raleigh, from I mean, Durham, for, the, uh, for my law school reunion after the Masters. Mm-hmm. And the enthusiasm in Durham, Raleigh, Chap is just through the roof. I mean, you, t- you think Duke basketball fans are excited? I mean, you watch it on TV. That's all people are talking about. I mean, that that is really captured. Who would ever thought? North Carolina? Yeah. Hockey? I mean, it is really, and it, it's a perfect venue for that. People are questioning it. It's in Raleigh. It's one of the smallest markets. But everyone 
when I was there, I met all these people from North Carolina. Everyone is Hurricane fans. It, well, it, it's one thing that there's no other team. You know, they've got the Panthers, Carolina Panthers, but that's Charlotte. And I think a lot of people in Raleigh didn't really embrace them, whereas this team's in Raleigh. This is our, this is our squad. It's like you got NC State, North Carolina, and Duke fans all rooting for the same yeah. team. So they pulled their resources, <laughs> and they're going after the Hurricane. you got to wear your hat to recognize your college. <laughs> yeah. Separate yourself. Uh, Tampa ended up beating Toronto. This was a great series. And now the Florida Panthers, who looked like they were going to be on their way out after winning the President's Trophy, beat Washington. I know you watched some of this as well. It, when you're facing off against Alex Ovechkin and this team, it's not easy to win. Panthers have been come from behind. They're called the Cardiac Cats this year. They lived up to it, winning this one and moving on as well in another overtime game. Florida won, yeah, 4-3 in overtime in Game 6 and and finishing up not forcing, not having it go to a Game 7, which I think was crucial for them to do that. Uh, and then Tampa wins against Toronto 2-1. And the one thing about Tampa is, boy, they, they're a type of team. That's, they've won the last two Stanley Cups. And they do it because there are some games where they're the better team and they figure out ways to win. you got to figure out ways to win. I mean, they look like a team that is like, just let's let's win. I mean, they're winners. And that I know that sounds crazy, but you don't win as many games as they have. And going through two whole Stanley Cup playoffs, and then people are like, oh, well, they got a, they were lucky against her. They don't get lucky. You're not no. this good at winning these type of games and win these Cups like they do. And they were over to be able to overcome Toronto in games. And this is something, you know, we were talking earlier about trying to think of a collapse like we've seen with Phoenix this year. Three years ago, Tampa Bay won the President's Trophy and got swept in the first round by Columbus as the eighth seed. So that kind of changed their approach. And then they went on to win two consecutive Stanley Cups. It's going to be a great series. The Panthers have had historically a lot of trouble with Tampa Bay. This year played good against them, and I'm expecting fireworks, um, you know, between Sunrise and Tampa Bay in this series. I'm, but I'm so upset because they put the games on Tuesday and Thursday the same With time the, the heat. heat. So I have no <laughs> idea why they couldn't have adjusted the schedule, but they're they're playing Tuesday and Thursday in Sunrise, and then down in Miami is going to be the Heat Celtics. Why could they put one on Wednesday, one on Friday? I mean, it's just, and then they're going to the series going to be the same. And the one little quirk in the schedule is that they, because they want to have an extra game on Sunday, the Panthers are, I mean, are, and the Lightning are going to have to play on Sunday. And and Monday. Yeah, back to back in the playoffs. Back to back, no days off. It's one of the, they're the only team that have to do that. I, that's ridiculous. The, the NHL has historically not done what's right for the fans, and here we are <laughs> once again. In the West, Ira, you, you made a great comparison before, and I think anybody who's casually a hockey fan listening to this needs to know about Connor McDavid. What you said made, made a lot of sense because of you don't need to know his number. You could block out the faces, and you could ask someone, show me who Connor McDavid is. It's easy to see. He looks like a different player than everyone else. He's a cheat code. Against LA Kings, I saw him. He was just dominating the entire game. It's amazing. He gets the puck, he drives, and he pulls back. I mean, some people, how he can stop on a dime. It's like he has fake skates. Like, is he mm-hmm. is he really right? Is he not? Is he a video game player or a real player? And you're watching him play, and he's just so much bigger than everyone else, and so much faster. And it's just, it's just he can. I've it was just a pleasure to watch him play. It's Sidney Crosby is the best player of my lifetime because he's got great vision. He knows exactly what's happening on the ice. Connor McDavid has that, plus he's the fastest guy in the league. So put those two things together. It's going to be exciting. Edmonton has not done much with him, but they're moving on now. We're going to see that. The real shocker in the West was St. Louis beating Minnesota. A lot of people thought Minnesota could go to the Stanley Cup. They got knocked off. Colorado played Nashville. We Colorado's really, really good. We didn't expect much there. A lot of people really like Calgary, Ira, and this ended up being an epic series. Ended last night around, what, midnight, and you know we're glued to the TV in another overtime Game 7. <laughs> An overtime Game 7, and the Dallas goalie Otinger had, had 64 saves, which is the second uh, highest amount of saves in a Game 7. Calgary had one in the second period at 30 shots on goal, and I love the game because <laughs> Calgary has this fiery red, and their fans, like every single person, like if you didn't wear red head to toe, you're like not allowed at this stage, and they call them the Saddle Dome, and it is a dome which is at a horse saddle. It looks so cool, and they ask 
I mean, I, I was just so into this game and the fans and the excitement of the game and how they played. And the camera there was in a perfect. It was like you felt like you're really on the ice. Whereas mm -hmm. like when they have it in the Rangers, I think the massive guard, it's back further. You're yeah. blocked. I mean, I felt like I was like, I thought I was going to get hit. I mean, it was like so <laughs> cool. But no, I think you're going to have what Edmonton and Calgary. And then you you love Colorado. You've been talking about Colorado all year. Yeah. They swept National Four. I mean, all these other teams are playing game sixes and game sevens. Colorado, we're just going to win in four. We're going to have a sweep. They so. had seven goals in the first period one game. They just, <laughs> we're, we're much better than you guys. I was seven for eight picking the series in the, in the first round. The only one I lost on was that Minnesota one. I'll take the Rangers to win, but I think that's going to be tough. I'm going to take Florida to beat Tampa as well. And then in the West, I think you're going to see the matchup of the top two seeds, Calgary and, and the Avalanche. Sorry to Connor McDavid. <laughs> and we'll be watching this one, but I, I can't see Calgary and Colorado not advancing in what will be a great Western Conference Finals. And we'll be covering that here on Ira on Sports as Ira stays up till 2 a.m. with me watching hockey. <laughs> Preaknesses this weekend, Ira. And first of all, I have to apologize. I did make a claim that maybe there was going to be some foul play with Rich Strike. Everything came back fine. No foul play. But to me, it's a little weird. He's not going to run in the Preakness. Can't remember this ever happening where someone wins the Derby, doesn't run in the Preakness. It's not great for the sport to me, Ira. And it's also just weird. It kind of takes some of the fun out of it. Well, there's been injuries and there's also been uh, with the drug testing and those things. But rarely does a horse just say, I'm just not going to run. I mean, that's what I think the question is. And that's why the Preakness, the Belmont has always had, well, it's not for the Triple Crown, but the Preakness is usually there's still the hope the Triple Crown. I mean, the Kentucky yeah. Derby wins, so there's still a hope for the Triple Crown. But for Rich Strike, who is an 80 to one underdog, not to run, I think it takes so much luster out of it. And then no Zandon, but it really it's it's a Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. You want to see Rich Strike win and and to follow that up. And I, I think look, the horses that are running Epicenter was second in the Derby. It's a six to five favorite. Uh, Secret Oath, the other horse that's exciting about this is Secret Oath won the Kentucky Oaks on Friday of the Derby is a filly and is now is nine to two. So the question is, can how can see Secret Oath and versus Epicenter do. And then there's another horse, Simplification 6-1, to one, who's actually Epicenter's half-brother on the father's side. So mm -hmm. they have two brothers that are running there. And then like other horses, like early voting, didn't run in the Derby. Only like three horses that ran the Derby are going to run in the Preakness. Mm -hmm. So that takes a lot of the luster out. And there's some, uh, only nine horses. And then this, uh, at the last minute, Arm Gandic, a horse from the Santa Anita, which is the Bob Baffert felt like, I have to get in on this. And has <laughs> Tim Yakin pushed, put that in as a 12-to-1. Uh, it, it just the luster of the Preakness, which I love. I've been to a number of times. I was there when Real Quiet won that. Um, but I just think that, look, it's, it's there's no luster when there's no Triple Crown. And, and one of the biggest losers in this is the betting public. Rich Strike was looking like it was going to be a four or six to one shot. If he ran in the Preakness, Epicenter was also going to be about a four to one. Now, Epicenter, overwhelming favorite with no Rich Strike. I think you can make a lot of money on Secret Oath. I mean, she's she's a female, and that's why she didn't run in the Derby. She ran in the Oaks, rolled over the field, and simplification, I had him as my Derby pick, didn't quite get it done, but I'm really confident in uh, simplification here, maybe taking this down at about a six to one. So you're gonna do a trifecta of Epicenter, Secret Oath, and simplification. Might have to throw that together. It's a $12 bet, I believe, for the tri box. <laughs> Let's move on to Golf Ira. And we had a pretty impressive field here at the Byron Nelson, and with, you know, Big tournaments coming up, we don't necessarily think they were going to get good fields. They really did, and they abused this course, Ira. I, I think this was the record for most guys being 20 under or below. Yeah, it was 14 players at 20 and under or below. I mean, it's a point where Xander Shoffley shot a 61 on Sunday and was still three strokes yeah. off. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. I mean, Justin Thomas shot 23 under, Scheffler 19. Give these numbers are crazy. KH Lee won with 
26 under. This the tournament, the Byron Nelson Classic, used to be a, a pretty major tournament because Byron Nelson was still alive. It was like one of those where you had to go. I mean, Sam Snead won it two years back to back. Nicholas won it back to back. Watson won it back to back. And now KH Lee has won it back to back. So that's pretty good company. And Snead, Nicholas, and Watson. Um, but uh, it was again, they got a great feel for this, and it's the week before the uh, PGA Championship, which again, we you know something in the Honda Classic. We're always you know people are complaining about not playing it because they have to get ready for a tournament. They're playing back to back here. So what's coming up this weekend, Ira? Kind of a big deal. PGA Championship in Tulsa at Southern Hills, and and the, all you have to need to know is that Tiger Woods is playing. Tiger says he's playing great. Um, said he feels good. And I saw a picture of his limping, but he says, you know, I, I expect you can still see the limp as long as the pain's not there. As I said on, when I watched him at the Masters, I think he's dealing with this better than he dealt with a bad back. It seems like, okay, I can deal with a bad leg. I won the U.S. Open on a broken leg and a broken knee. The back is a lot harder to do. Um, I'm pumped to see Tiger. He's supposedly been practicing a lot, too, which is more. I mean, it's so funny when you look at the odds for this. You have uh, Rahm at 11 to 1, Rory 12 to 1, and Scotty Scheffler again 12 to 1. I mean, there's no that, respect. That might be the bet. It's Scotty Scheffler to call him or Cara 14 1. We talk about this all the time. There are so many golfers between. I love this betting because you got, yep, I, look, I like Cam Smith at 20 to 1 and Shane Lowry at 35 to 1. Yeah. Shane Lowry's been one of the hottest golfers on the course. So I would do a Cam Smith, Shane Lowry bet on this, but I'm, a, I'm pumped. You know, I love how they moved the PGA Championship because I didn't like the big gap of a two months. Like, I think to have a, the majors. Once a month, you have a major. I think makes sense, and I'm happy for that. Uh, what the PGA Championship? So I'm excited for this weekend. It, we not necessarily have Rom hate here on Iron Sports, but there's no love for the credit that Rom gets. And why would he be the favorite here? I get he got a win against nobody, but not have Scotty Scheffler be the favorite is just a little ridiculous. Well, he won in Mexico against a weak field, and again, it's, it's this is one thing I talk about load management in the playoffs. It's like this is what I like about the majors. It's like okay, you guys all got to play this. I mean, they seem to all take different tournaments off and say, oh, I'm working for this, I'm working for that. They're not playing; it doesn't really matter. I'm still going to get my money. It's nice to see that they actually try to play for this. They're all going to show up for this, and the PGA. Look, it's not. It's the major that they call it the fourth major. It's not as prestigious as the U.S. Open, the British Open, or of course the Masters. But there's been some great. It, it can produce some fireworks. The scores tend to be a little higher than what you have at a U.S. Open. So I'm not going to see a 26 under and stuff like that. But I some, hope not. <laughs> but you you can. It's it's going to be fun. I think I'm I'm I, I, look. Tiger's in the field. That's all you need. Phil's not in it. Tiger's in it. I'm excited. Tiger's playing. Let's give a little update on on the Live Tour and what it's trying to be. And there's some news out just about an hour or so ago that Ricky Fowler would entertain going and joining the tour. That would be a major coup for the for the live, live tour. It'd be bad for, for the PGA tour. And it's not that Ricky Fowler's been playing good, but he's such a big name and so good for the sport. To lose someone like that would be bad. So where do we stand here? Well, in the first week of June, there's going to be their first event in Wentworth, Wentworth, England. And they thought the PGA tour was going to grant waivers to do it. You have to actually, for a waiver, if you don't want to play a tour event. And the PGA tour said, no, we're yeah. not going to do it. And then the DP tour said, no, also. So they both said no. And now the question is, they say, if you play it, now this is where it is. They say, if you play this, you're out of the tour. Like we're throwing you out, taking your card, you're done. You're not playing. Now, Greg Norman, who's running it, says, no, we're going to sue you or this. But he says, I have 170 entries, 36 pros in the top 150, 19 in the top 100, and six in the top 50. You're seeing a lot of the Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood. No one's been announced yet. And, of course, Phil Mickelson. But this is going to be really what's going to happen in terms of what happens at the events. And you've got to think that they're going to go through with this threat. And But you made a good point. The Ricky Fowler, who does Ricky Fowler, wants to make money. And these events pay a he's lot. He's basically not on the tour anymore. And Right. He's ranked 100th in the world. And you're going to start seeing some of these big name golfers do that. And then some of these European golfers, we talked about what is this live tour and, and whatever. Well, 
there, it's, a, it's a three rounds. There's going to be no pro-am. So they don't have to get their Wednesday play a pro-am. They don't play a Thursday. And it's a shotgun start, so they know we're going to play a certain time, and it's going to be the easy time of the day. We're going to play those things, and that's it. And I think for some of the older 40-, 50-year-old golfers, if you're Sergio Garcia, you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to do a pro-am. I don't want to play. You know, LeBron doesn't have to go and shoot baskets with someone for <laughs> hours before the day before. Also, Sergio doesn't want to finish 30th every weekend. If he's on the live tour, he's automatically the favorite almost every weekend. So that's something, if I'm him and I can go make more money being the favorite, and when I maybe dislike the PGA Tour anyway, it's a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, as we said, these tour, these events, the live tour, they're going to be paying more money than the majors pay. So this is like, and Norman made a comment, it's like, yeah, when they, it's okay, no one wants to play it. But when they see golfers who they think they're far better than collecting 15, 20 million dollars for winning event, you're like, I, I could have won that. Then you're going to see some more people enter. And I think that's what Ricky Fowler is thinking. Look, I can go enter this. And again, the fields are smaller. And the fact, I think for the older golfers, only have to play three, three rounds instead of going the fourth round that mm -hmm. Thursday, not having to do the pro-am. I think that's something we're going to see what happens. This is exciting. Um, I think people who said I've, when, the, when Nicholson made his comments that, oh, this is never going to happen. And you have the golfers. And of course, look, there's still Tiger and they're lucky. The PJ Tour has Tiger and Tiger plays. But for these other golfers, they're like, look, I got to make some money. They're independent contractors. They, that's what their job is. No, I to totally get it. Uh, what's going on in racing? Um, NASCAR was fun because Jordan Michael Jordan won his second race. Kurt Busch won with the Jordan with the first time with the Jordan brand, beating Kyle Larson and his brother Kyle Busch was third. It was one of those races where Kurt won and his brother, who finished third, is excited for him. And also Denny Hamlin, who also owns the team with Michael Jordan, was like crying the fact that mm -hmm. we finally got it to win. And uh, you can see Pitbull now in NASCAR and Michael Jordan in NASCAR, and you see all the celebrities at the Formula One. You're starting to really see this excitement for auto racing. And we have Indy 500 in two weeks. I'm trying to get maybe. Some of, uh, some of the Indy 500 stars on our show. And then F1 is in Spanish Grand Prix in Spain this week. You don't, no plans to go to the Indy 500? Uh, not this year, but I think next year I'm going to. It's, it just falls right in the middle of basketball. I was, when the Pacers were in it, I almost went to it, but they had a game. It was like, but I definitely, the Indy 500 is one of my one buckle, bucket list. Now to go to the Masters that I really have to get to. Let's uh, go to talk a little tennis here. Novak Djokovic, it was, the Italian Open is exciting to watch because their arenas are great. They have this one arena that have like statues all around it. It's in the ground. And Joker beat Tetsavas 6075. I mean, Joker had been struggling this year since he was banned because of the, you know, the COVID vaccine. Didn't drop a set. It's a 1,000th career win. Um, Tetsavas was serving 5-3 in the second and, and Djokovic just turned it on. Um, but this is really like, the doll got hurt, didn't play well. I mean, it, it, he lost in, to Shapovalov in the quarters. And this is setting up now until Two weeks for the French Open. Maybe Djokovic's going to go against Nadal. What's going to happen? And uh, but he's now certainly playing to form. And then the women's side, Iga Swiatek, who no one is talking about, is 20 years old. She's from Poland. She won the French Open. She's now won 28 straight matches, which is the third most amount of matches anyone's ever won. She's won four straight titles, including Miami and Indian Wells. And she's destroying everybody. So we talk about a girl's tennis. You know, uh, Dami Osaka and these other players. This Swiatek has just this is dominance. I mean, every six two, six three, six zero, six zero, almost every match. So. Certainly get see how what she does in French this year. Ira, what's your uh, plans for this uh, week? Well, definitely the heat on Tuesdays and Thursdays and watching a lot. And then I'm, I'm going to watch the, 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 the uh, Southern Hills, watch the PGA Championship on TV, but going to be at the heat on Tuesday and Thursday. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Dan Shaughnessy for stopping by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.